I remember when I first moved to Northern California for a permanent resident. I was 22 years old and had my bachelor's degree and I thought I was really intelligent. I realized how many foolish things I actually did. Somehow, some way, when I moved into that apartment, they knew that I had just moved. And I was always getting these sweepstakes and these contests. And I remember I had a key. And a dealership says, you could possibly win a new car. And I said, I'm going to win a new car. I'm in that one in that million, and it's the key. And I, and I scratched it. I'm like, this is the number that's going to win. And I showed up to the dealership, gave them my name. They ran my credit. I said, what do you think about this car? I was like, I'm going to win. Like, oh, yeah, you are. Got all my information, how much I made what my used car was that I was currently driving. Then they did the little sweepstakes, and I thought, well, there's not a big circus here. I thought this drawing was a big thing. Everybody was going to be here, and come to find out, the number didn't match. I didn't even get a chance to see if my key worked. Well, I was trying to leave, and they wouldn't even let me leave. They we got all your information. You might as well test drive a car. I was like, I don't want to drive a car. I just wanted to win. Then I got home and I realized how many of these sweepstakes I started filling out. I was giving my information away and sending it off and sending it off, thinking I was going to win. And then I read this little disclaimer that said, must be present to win. And I thought, well, how am I supposed to get to Minnesota? Because they're going to draw my name. And then the more I realized... They just want you to get all your information, buy a magazine, buy a tape. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's how we used to listen to music. <laughs> buy a tape or an album. That's really what they wanted. As a matter of fact, in Colorado, just last year, because of COVID, you know, everybody was sent home to do work. But to get your bonus in the very fine print, it says you must be present to win. Matter of fact, the state of Colorado Department of Labor and Employment said this is a bad practice. You don't have to be present to get your bonus because you have worked there. This is the question in Jeremiah 29. Do you have to be present to win? Do you have to live in the promised land to get the blessings? Remember, Abraham was promised blessing. He was promised seed, descendant. Right in this land. And he was going to be blessed. And he was going to be a blessing to others. Can you still be blessed though you don't live in the land where the temple's built? You don't live in the land that was promised to your patriarch Abraham? Can you still get those blessings? Do you have to be present to win? God's trying to teach them an eternal perspective. See, they were looking with eyes like the world looks. They were looking at the here and now. They were looking at the land. They were looking at all the physical attributes of these promises, and they, they couldn't see past the physical to see the spiritual promises that the Lord has given them. And if you're taking notes, work for three weeks in a row, let's just go with five more, right? Let's see, one, God's timing. God has a timing, and He knows exactly when He's going to restore. But God's timing... Second thing we'll see is God's knowledge. We're going to look a little bit about God's knowledge. How does he know things? Three, God's plans. He has plans. 
Four is God's hearing, how he listens. God's hearing. And five is God's restoration. How does he restore? God's timing, knowledge, plans, hearing, and restoration. As we look at God's timing, maybe you're the type of person that's a lot like the Apostle Peter, sees things super literally, comes to Jesus in Matthew 18, and he says, do I only have to forgive someone seven times? And Jesus says, well, technically, you need to forgive them 70 times seven. You think Peter went home and put a board and said 490 times, and every time he forgave, bam, bam, only 490. No, that's, that's not the point. 70 times seven wasn't the point. The point was, always have to forgive. Same way when you see Moses, when he writes that psalm, Moses wrote Psalm 90. And he writes, the years of our life are 70. Or if by reason our strength, 80. When you see a 100-year-old man or woman, do you go home and cut out Psalm 90 and say, this is wrong! Completely wrong! Or when you see someone die in infancy or a young age, do you say, you know what? God had promised at least 70 years. No. What Moses is saying is, that's the lifespan of a person. You're not going to get long, 70, you may get 80, but either way, you're here for a limited amount of time, serve the Lord while you can. You're going to see a number in here, the number 70, and it's a very important number. It was important to the prophet Daniel. And some of you are going to go into rabbit holes and rabbit holes and try to figure out when the 70 years started and when it ended. We have an entire branch of our Christian faith that likes taking these numbers and figuring things out. Some will say, well, the destruction of the temple was 586. They completed it in 516. Well, you could say it, the destruction of the temple actually started in 587. And they started building the temple in 523. That's not exactly 70 years. And it throws everything off. And they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll take a lot of time to try to get this 70 years. If you want to know my opinion, you can talk to me after church about the 70 years. But I remember in Numbers 14... As they're making it to the promised land, God promised that that entire generation would not see the land. He wanted them to die off. It's not the first time we see that God is keeping an entire generation for an entire lifespan out of the land. And we see in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years... Right? If you're literal with that, that's completely fine. If you're like me, well, I told you what it is. Anyway, 70 years, roughly 70 years are completed for Babylon. There's a time span in which God is saying justice must be served. Just as if God did not allow that generation into the promised land that saw the miracles coming out of Egypt. He says, you're going to be punished, disciplined for your sin. He has a way of punishing sin. We know that because we see it in Jesus, do we not? Jesus was punished for our sin. Our sin, not his. We heard that this morning very clearly. He has no sin. But God is holy and sin must be punished. And you see, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise 
and bring you back to this place. He says, 70 years you're going to spend in exile, away from your home, away from what you know. And while you're there, he says, I will visit you. Do you remember when Jesus says, Thou knowest not the time of my visitation? See, visitation can be scary or it can be comforting, depending on whose team you're on, right? If you're out in Babylon, and you're a part of the group that's ramping up the fiery furnace to kill people who don't worship an idol, if you're part of the people who are persecuting God's people because they believe differently than you, because they refuse to bend the knee to Baal, and the sacrifice to Molech. When God visits, and if you're in Bible study with Bobby on Tuesday, you're thinking, you're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. You're kind of like, that's so true. That happens. Yes. Right? When God visits, it is not good for some, and for others, it's amazing. And we know one thing, God keeps his promises to come and visit. And my prayer is that you'll think about that visitation. Because God promised that he'll visit you one day. And I pray that your heart will be ready. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon where God knows his knowledge. And as I think about God's knowledge, it reminded me of 1997. I came home for Christmas from college and there was a store called Stephenberry's. Now, you might not have ever heard of this, but Stephenberry's was this really, really cheap athletic apparel. Sometimes, like if you had a shirt that said Georgia, the, the, it might be misspelled, but it was really cheap, so you could wear it. Stephenberry's is out of business because they sold cheap clothing. Didn't work out. But I remember you can get stuff real cheap. And in 1997, I never heard of Stephen Berry's, but my mother found this store because they had one. They opened it up in Savannah. I come home, and for Christmas, my big gift in 1997 was this Atlanta Braves jacket. And you have to have a jacket in Missouri because it's freezing cold, especially for a southern boy. I loved that Braves jacket. I mean, it actually was spelled right. <laughs> And in 1998, the next year, I wore that jacket. I was proud as could be of that jacket. The Braves were the best team in Major League Baseball. They had three guys that hit over 30 home runs. They had what ESPN and many writers would say the best pitcher staff of all times. Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox, Millwood. They were just incredible. You want to talk about boasting? That was me. I was boasting about my Braves and that city where... A lot of Midwesterns were bragging about their team. I'm like, oh no, we're the best. We're the best ever. We're going to win the most games. There's even a country music song about how great the 98 Braves were. And the sad reality is, a lot of us ate a piece of humble pie that year. And Padres came and beat us. People were shocked. They say that was some of the most money lost in Vegas because of how many people... Braves had to win. But you know who wasn't shocked? God. How did God know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Braves were going to lose? How does God know the future? How does God know what will take place and what will not take place? Why is he never shocked? 
Well, he knows the future because he plans it. He knows it. He ordains it. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 16 says, the heart of man plans his ways. So you plan your way, you have volition, you have will, you have choice, you choose to do things. You do it. You choose to do things, you plan it in your heart, you step into what you're doing, but it says, but at the end of the day, the Lord establishes your steps. To make it real simple, I'll concede this point, you have your free will, and I know some of you who love Jonathan Edwards are going to come ring my neck, that's fine, let's just be honest. Well, you have free will. Right? You're going to have choices to make, volition. But at the end of the day, God has his free will too. And God's free will is much bigger than your free will. And God gets the outcome that he chooses every single time. And maybe your mind's going, what on earth? That's how God knows things? You can get a ticket and get in line with the rest of us who go, I don't understand it fully. But the divines are very clear that yes, you have will, but God does not infringe, you could say, on your will. The liberty or contingency of second causes are not taken away, but rather they're established. How does God know exactly what the outcome and what the future is going to be for Judah? Because he's planned the whole thing. And anything that God knows is because he's planned it. Look at verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. How? Because he's planned it. I pray and hope that that's comforting for you because God's plans are good. His plans are good. He doesn't have plans to harm you and hurt you. He has plans for your welfare and for good. See, when you look at God's plans in verse 11, this can be a very dangerous verse. Many people have it tattooed on their arm. Many people have it as their life verse. Read it with me. It's a beautiful verse. For I know the plans... I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The reason this is so dangerous is because it's taken out of context so much. Something that just screams through my mind constantly, you may see it on my social media feed, is that sermon jam. They call it a sermon jam because they take a sermon and they put some music to it. Sermon jam, it has nothing to do with jelly or toast, but it's called a sermon jam. And John Piper has this sermon jam called Why I Hate the Prosperity Gospel. And I can't stop listening to it. It's constantly in my mind. And he says one of the reasons he hates this prosperity gospel is because there are men that are preaching and women that are preaching that if you follow Jesus... All things are going to be good for you. They'll say you'll have what? Your pigs won't die. That's some of the things that are preaching. Your wife won't have miscarriages. You'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. When someone gets a BMW, they'll say, Jesus gave me this BMW. And what do you think the world's going to say? Did Jesus give you that BMW? 
Yes, well, I'll take Jesus. Of course you will. We read this verse out of context. We forget the context is suffering. Exile. This verse isn't for when you get a new house. It's for when you lose your house. This verse isn't for when you have tons and tons of children and everything's going right. It's when you lose tons and tons of children. It's when you lose everything and you have nothing left. That's what this verse is in context about. Do you remember when Satan tried to tempt our Lord and Savior Christ? Do you remember the temptations? Turn rocks into bread. Throw yourself off that mountain. The angels will catch you. And then the last temptation, he says, look at everything here. You can have it all right now if you would just bend the knee to worship me. Little did he know, Jesus was the predator and Satan was the prey. But Jesus knows there is no glory without suffering. Knows it. Blessings will come through suffering. This verse is not written to people who are living on easy street and in cruise control. It's written to people who are going through pain and suffering. And while you're in exile, while you're in Babylon, while it seems the whole world is going wrong and everything's against you, when you feel the hand of discipline upon you, you can say, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you ever see those football players that put Philippians 4.13 on their eyebrows, right? But you'll see some people, I remember in high school, Philippians 4.13, I'm going to hit this baseball a lot further, <laughs> right? Do you understand the context of Philippians 4.13? It's the same context that Jeremiah 29. He says, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low. In every circumstance, the secret of facing plenty. I'm hungry. I have nothing. What, what? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can make it because I know the God of the universe who plans everything also plans it for my good. He is a good, good God. That is the context of this passage. Is God going to bless His people while they are in exile, while they are away from the land, while they feel the disciplining hand of God coming upon them, no temple, no Jerusalem, no city, is, the, is God going to still bless them? Do they have to be present to win? God is going to bless them. He's teaching them, don't trust in the externals. You trust in me. We've seen God's timing. We've seen his knowledge. We've seen his plans. And now we're going to see God's hearing. And I think to understand the context of 12 and 13, I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. It should be easy to find because you're in the book of Jeremiah right now. Unless you're reading other books of the Bible. But turn to chapter 7. I want you to read verse 16 with me. Jeremiah 7, 16. As for you, talking to Jeremiah, 
Do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. Do not pray for these people. They're stiff-necked people. They don't love me. They don't care about me. They're not listening to me. Don't even pray for them. Now turn to chapter 11. You've got to see this theme to understand this passage. Chapter 11. You've heard these preached before, but I want to remind you what happens in chapter 11, verse 14. Therefore, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf. For I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. God says, I'm not listening to this people. I'm not going to hear them. I'm not going to listen to their prayers. Chapter 14. This theme continues. The Lord said to me, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Jeremiah, do not mediate on their behalf. I'm not even listening to their prayers. They're in the land. They're looking at the temple and they're thinking, God can't touch me. I have a temple. I'm special. Now the temple's destroyed. The land's destroyed. They're in exile. And look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You who were once rich and blessing, you had the temple, you had the blessings, you had the city. Now you are poor. Can you not see why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit? Why? They have nowhere else to turn. Who else are they turning to? The only place they have to turn is God. This is what's incredible. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a preteen or a teenager do something you ask them to do. Take cutting grass. Sometimes when they go to cut grass, they get done, and there's like tall weeds everywhere. It's like, did you not even try? Or, hey, could you clean your room? And what do they do? They just take all the stuff and they throw it in the closet, and shut the door, and they go back to video games, right? Why? Their heart's not in it. They're just checking the box. Checking the box. This is exactly what Judah was doing to God. Just checking the box. Just in case Yahweh and his law's right, let's just throw him a bone. Let's check that box. Their heart was never in it. Deuteronomy 4 makes it clear. When you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you seek Him with all of your heart. We are getting to chapter 31. Some of you feel like it will be next year, but we promise you it won't be. 31 is the great chapter of Jeremiah where we see the new covenant. Where God does something to their heart. 
God wants their heart. And if you seek Him with all of your heart, there you will find Him. Not seeking Him for gifts, not seeking Him because you think you're special, but seeking Him because you're poor in spirit and all you have is Him. And if you're not there, He will take everything from you and to the point where you have nothing but Him because He's kind and good. Why? Because five, he wants restoration. We've seen his timing, knowledge, plans, his hearing. But ultimately, he wants restoration. Why? Because he wants you home. As Dorothy said, right? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. He wants you home. This is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Exiles longing to be home. Look at verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I'm going to bring you home. I'm using your exile to get you to quit seeing the earth as your final resting place. The moment that your heart longs to be with me, that's when I'll truly bring you home because really home is where the heart is. You are in exile now. America's not your home. Your true home is in glory. And what God is doing is He's ordaining your life in such a way because He ultimately wants you home. He wants to get you home. He wants to get you to glory. And He's not going to waste any of the suffering, any of the pain, any of your exile because ultimately you can be blessed even though you're not home yet. You don't have to be present to get these blessings. You can have them now. You can have them in Christ. You'll have a much bigger blessing one day. But you can start enjoying them now. As we close, I want to share a story of a friend who, who this was his favorite verse. He was a member of our church. I used to go to lunch with him regularly. He's a brilliant man. Uh, taught at a Ivy League University, spoke multiple languages, probably didn't know how smart he actually was, taught computer engineering down here at a school when he moved down here. He was an Eeyore. I'm talking about Eeyore. You, you know, Tigger's always, oh, the glass house full. He was Eeyore's Eeyore gets. Eeyore's Eeyore gets. Maybe that was how his mind thought. His favorite verse was Jeremiah 29.11. Probably had bouts with depression. And he says, you know why this is my favorite verse? I was like, no, I'm, I know you're going to tell me. He goes, you know why this is my favorite verse? He goes, because no one knows the context. This is my favorite verse because when I'm sad, when I feel like I've got the short end of the stick, I can say, you know what? God knows the plans he has for me. 
And they're not evil. They're to give me a future and a hope. He was talking to a pastor late 90s about depression and life. And his pastor looked at him and said, you know, sometimes God has to do surgery on you. To which he responded, yeah, and sometimes he doesn't use anesthesia. I'm here to tell you, my friend, I believe, is in glory with Christ. He has no more cancer. And he's got joy. I'm talking about joy like you've never seen. And this verse was used. And the context was used to get him from point A to point B. And I pray that you will see that verse way differently than you're used to seeing it. It's probably on some of your walls at home now. You're going to be like taking it down and not telling anybody. <laughs> That's the context of the verse. God wants to get you home. And I pray and hope that you see Christ in that. All the things that suffering in life, they're to point you to Jesus Christ. And we're going to have an opportunity here in just a second to meet with Christ. He will meet with us spiritually by faith when we feast on Him. And He is strengthening your faith to get you home. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word.